Welcome to Lemmy Works, brought to you by Leadership Education Mentoring Institute. We are inspiring parents, mentors, and communities as they embark on the journey of transformational project-based education. Hi, this is Tatiana Fallon. Hi, this is Heidi Christensen. We're so excited to be your hosts. So Heidi, I was, uh, we were in our family foundations class and my friend mentioned that uh, we live really close to Indiana. So there's, we just hop across the border and we're there. She said that the Indiana reading scores are so low that they're pointing a, uh, it's not really a czar of reading, but like, like a person who's like, um, whose sole job is to like oversee the reading in the schools. And then NPR just came out with a, a news article saying that two thirds of the third graders in Indiana can't pass the reading tests. Um, and so they're actually talking about the legislature actually passing law, making you, you can't move them forward. Then this is the, the crazier thing was my friend who was there. She said that when her son was in school, he was not going to pass the reading test. Like there's just no way he's got uh, learning disabilities. And that's one of the big reasons why she chose to homeschool him. And he's a great kid and he's doing really well. But um, so the teacher literally got the test and had him memorize the test. And they, and she said for three weeks straight, they made him practice this test so he could have it memorized. And then they even told the kids to write the answers on their desks and they passed out the test to the kids. And so, you know, her son passed the third grade reading test, but only because the teachers basically taught him how to cheat. And she said that was one of the big things that like pushed her over the edge to homeschool. And she's like, wait, you're, you're, you're teaching my son. It's okay to cheat because you need him to pass this test so that your scores look better. So that the school gets more funding. So like, this was like this huge ripple effect. So um, you're always hearing from people like the education system's just broken. And I mean, it's, you hear it over and over and over again, you know, millennials whine, like we were gypped and Gen X's are always, or Gen, I guess the Gen Z or the Zoomers, they're always saying, you know, this sucks and my teacher's this way and teachers are throwing their arms up in the air these days. So what, why, my question that I want to talk with today is, is why do you think that it's broken? Like what is so broken about the educational system and, and, and what can we do to fix it? If, if anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I actually left um, traditional academia, even though I I was a teacher for a homeschool charter school. So we had so much more, uh, more freedom and everything, but it was even with a homeschool charter school who, whose focus was freedom and, and teaching kids to their learning style and all of that. I still was constantly coming up against these issues where I couldn't, I couldn't actually educate the kid. I couldn't work with these families to truly educate them because, you know, you have to do this or you have to do this. And, and I mean, talking about standardized tests, it's gotten to the point where some of these standardized tests, you can actually put the correct, the correct answer on a test and get it wrong. Because you don't put it, you know, you don't put all of the the information on there that they are looking for. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. It, it is so broken. It is insane. And I really feel like 
we are just ripe for education reform right now because it is so broken. The only way we can really, really make a difference, really fix it is to basically scrap it and, and start over. Um, but really, I, I really feel like in order to do that, we have to figure out what we did right. I mean, or, and what we did wrong. I mean, when were we doing it right? What were we doing then? And I mean, we have to look back at our history. There's always cycles to history. And what was our cycle of history for education? What were we doing before that worked? And why were we doing it? Well, you know, like the founders always, they, they taught like, you can't have a well-functioning democracy without an educated base, right? They they understood that. And if you look at like the history of education for uh, before America came along, before democracy, like we have now were a thing, like the vast majority of education was the peasants learned the basic skills of, of labor. And then the elite were taught with tutors and um, in their homes, right? And, and they were taught a certain way within a, a small group. And you don't really see the mass education becoming a thing until, you know, Horace Mann in the 19, well, I mean, it's, it started, it became a community thing you know, you'd have community schools or the one-room schoolhouses, but the ma vast amounts of like public schools and mandatory attendance of these public schools wasn't really a thing until like nineteen early nineteen hundreds. So we've really only been doing this mass forced education for like a hundred years, one hundred twenty years, right? We haven't actually been doing it that long. Um, so it's kind of an experiment in and of itself, just to be able to like, okay. And we, we used to have a, a different way. Um, it was super interesting. I don't know if you um, you like to read Ronald Dahl <laughs> or read any of his stuff. My kids love him. So anything we can get Ronald Dahl, they read. And we've read them all multiple times. But this one, we found this one book. It was called um, Charlie, um, Charlie's Medicine or something. And it's a story about how this, uh, this little boy gets has to watch his grandma for his dad who works on the farm and so he tries to turn his mean old grandma into something else by making this concoction of her medicine and it's absolutely hilarious it's so funny I mean it's it's totally Ronald Dahl but one of the things that I the epiphany I had while I was listening to this was you know generational education was such a was a big deal you know, like so much of what you were learned when you, until you were like old enough to attend those schools, which usually wasn't until you were eight or nine, was from your grandparents, you know, at home in the kitchen, doing chores, doing those things, you know, education, like we know it in the formalized sense, really didn't happen to children until they were like nine, 10. And then, you know, that's when they started going to one, one room schoolhouse. Um, I just read Farmer Boy. Um, and the first time that he got to, he didn't want to go, but he, he had to go to school was he was eight years old. And um, so that's a very interesting thing is, is, is this kind of an experiment we haven't really seen before. And then the other thing that's interesting that I'm just connecting dots, but um, I recently read a book called The History of Perfectionism. <laughs> and it was, it, it wasn't like this self-help book. It was, it was a book about um precisionist engineering and how precisionist engineering has has revolutionized uh, the world we live in today. But one of the things that he talked about was uh, the development of the automobile. And in, in Europe or in England, you had the Rolls-Royce company. 
And Royce was this really brilliant engineer. And he was obsessed with the beautiful and the meticulous. And so he um, started driving cars that cars were originally made in France. England didn't really have a production. And this is like 1901, you know, very beginning. So he decides he's going to build his own car because he wants one. <laughs> and he's a machinist. Uh, he worked on engines like uh, for the trains. And so he builds himself this beautiful engine and this beautiful car um, with the team of people he had working for him. Um, and then uh, this guy, Roy, rolls. He's like, let's, ma let's manufacture this. And so they started manufacturing it. But Royce said no we have to use the best engineers and everything has to be made to specific um with specific tools to specific you know specifications and they made beautiful engines right then across the country you see the same exact thing happening in ford's factory but what ford did was he made it so that his parts so his engineers didn't know anything and couldn't do anything other than one simple action, but his parts were specifically made. So then each part could be put together in precisely. So they each used precision. One was like the precision of the individual being able to replicate and make something. And the other one was the precision of the, the part. And um, the result was it took Rolls-Royce um, six day uh they could make when they were going full speed they could make six cars a day and ford could make a model t could come off the line every six minutes oh wow yeah so you know so the difference was at scale right um and the and, and the and the model t's were pretty reliable i mean for the most part they didn't have the precision and the beauty and the experience of driving like a Rolls Royce, you know, those, that's a diff, totally different experience. But I kind of, as I was reading that book, I kind of realized it's like, what if America tried to take that same mentality of we need this done at scale? And so we need to produce, we have a population of like, you know, right now I think it's closer to 350 million. Um, so we need to educate, you know, 100 million people every year um and or maybe we don't have that many people in the in the you know elementary and high school and stuff but versus like if you look at another country like england with a population that's closer to maybe 30 million you know we're playing with a lot bigger numbers so we're just like let's just produce it like a factory let's just make every single thing like pop out exactly the same because that's what we need we just need it to be done and so I wonder if like our intensity as Americans to be able to produce quickly and at mass scale trickled into how we t taught education. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, definitely. I, I feel like definitely that it did because even now, I mean, like I talked about, like I said before, I had to leave because of all of the standardization there were so many things that i had to do for every single child to make every single thing the same same um key assignments same things that every child had to do and it eliminated any of the individuality and when you do that i mean 
I mean, you have four kids. I have five kids. How many of those kids are exactly the same? I mean, I even have identical twins and they are so different. They learn differently. They're inspired. They're motivated by different things. And when you try and like put all of those square pegs into a round hole, or I mean, one of my favorite quotes is um, from Einstein is, you know, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll spend its entire life believing that it's stupid. And I, I really feel like one of the biggest reasons our educational system is failing is because we have so many fish trying to climb trees. And instead, we should be allowing them to swim and the eagles to fly and, you know, the, the, um, the deer to run and let the monkeys climb the trees, you know, um, and the squirrels and, you know, even have the, a, a different way of evaluating that monkey and the squirrel. They're still doing the same thing, but they're doing it differently and allow them to do things differently. Uh, and we're just, just, well, I, you know, actually, as you're talking, it made me think maybe it's because like, we really don't have a very good objective or end goal. Like if you were to think like, what's the end goal of someone who leaves high school? Like what, if what's the, what's the end goal? Like, oh, I I can tell you. I mean, the end goal is to check off all of these boxes and have all of these standards met. The standards are to make it easier for the educational system to evaluate itself. That's that is what it's doing. It has to have some way of saying, you know, basically proving its worth that it is actually accomplishing what it's supposed to. But it's not about the kids. It's about some bureaucrat that has determined you know, either on the state or federal level, what a child needs, what every child needs. And but needs, needs for what? Like for what? What's the purpose? What's the need for? Exactly. It's to, it's just to- Just to check a box off. Just to validate the public school education existence, that system's existence. I mean, that's as far as I'm concerned. So like literally there's no reason- well, beyond ticking the box <laughs> for you to like get everything done for high school. I feel like, yes, they feel that this is what every child needs to be successful. But okay, yes. su okay, so success. So you're saying if you tick all these boxes, then you'll be successful. Supposedly. Supposedly. But, but see, that's the thing is like millennials were like, we ticked all those boxes and our life is screwed. You know, like yeah. everyone's like, it doesn't matter how many boxes you take. You went to college, you got the good grades so you could get into a good college. And now you can't even like have the things that you were promised or have the lifestyle that you want. Like it's it's not equaling success. It's like ticking boxes to get to a certain place has obviously not working and, and people are miserable and it's showing up in so many facets of people's lives, their home lives, their dating lives their you know it, their mental health is is horrible it's it's deplorable i mean the amount of people who are on antidepressants just so that they can wake up every morning and go to work is through the roof like so you know we've we've clearly failed and i think we need to go back to like what's the purpose of education like why are we spending every hour like you know an average american child spends eight hours a day five days a week 
um, in other places of the world, they spe spend even more time. What What's the whole point of this purpose of education? And if we go back to like, you know, the you could say the, the father of education or, or the Western father of education, if you go back to Plato and Socrates, the whole point of education is to obtain the good life, right? He says the whole reason why you strive to understand the unknown and discover the world around you is to discover what the good life is and then discover how to live it. And that's so much more than learning, you know, all these objective facts in fourth grade history or, you know, it's, and so to me, it's like we, the reason why so many people in my generation feel gypped, feel abandoned, and are literally struggling to get through the day is because we set the goal completely wrong. And we said, check these boxes off to achieve this status. Instead of saying, get out, look at the shadows have been playing on the cave's wall, walk out and see the real sun. Yeah. Experience the good life. Yeah. Unfortunately, I feel like, you know, that mentality of checking off these boxes, a lot of those boxes are really good. They're, they're learning things that are very valuable, but they're also learning that you check off the box and it's done. You never revisit it. You never go back and, and you aren't developing that love of learning and that desire for education and, and that desire for growth. Checking up boxes isn't growth. It's just, you know, taking one step. It's, it's not. And there are amazing teachers out there that are working within the system and doing amazing things. And I mean, I have two graduate degrees. I, I, I value education, but I'm just so frustrated with that mentality because I mean, really, when you think about it, the father of, you know, American graduate, uh, the father of American education would be like Horace Mann. Why did he set up education the way he did? I mean, it was to basically produce, uh, he went to, what was it, Prussia, and was so enamored by their system, which was basically producing soldiers, he decided to come back here and um, produce factory workers. Is that, I mean, one of the reasons all of these, uh, these kids, all of these generations are not happy with their education they were, their education was designed to produce factory workers and they don't want to be factory workers. Okay. Factory workers need to just be able to follow directions to check off the boxes. What do we need today? And I feel like homeschooling today, I mean, that conveyor belt, that conveyor belt education for those factory workers, we need to get off that conveyor belt. We need to have this mindset shift because that conveyor belt doesn't work. It is, it does not develop the people that we need, especially for this unknown future that we're going to uh, going towards. Um, and our kids need it because that all of these uh, mental health issues, I mean, a mindset shift would do wonders for them. I mean, really um, what is that? Cognitive behavioral ther um, therapy, is that the correct term? Yeah, uh, CBT, cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is, I've been 
listening to coddling of the American mind. Um, we're going to be doing a a colloquium with my son's class on that book, and and he talks a lot about how these generations are having so many issues because they've been coddled, and uh, how one of the ways he actually was able to see that what was happening in these um, these different educational systems, mostly at the college level, was he was able to see how they were basically telling kids, telling these students and telling these young people that, you know, you were supposed to do these things that were actually exactly the opposite of what cognitive behavioral therapy tells you to, you know, that it tries to help. So it's like the exact opposite. So they're causing these issues instead of solving them. And so, I mean, that's why I think, that's why I think we really just need to trash the old system and start new because it's just been so warped at this point. Um, even though, I mean, there's, there is a lot of good there. We just need to, I, I just don't know how to, how to get anything good out of it. <laughs> just one of the reasons I homeschooled my five kids, but yeah. Well, I think I think if you were to, um, I think even as a homeschooled parent, I think a lot of people who choose to homeschool, just from my experience, is a lot of it is reactive, right? This isn't working, either like my kid's getting bullied or just don't agree with what's the agenda of the school or they're falling behind academically. And so they choose to homeschool as a reaction to what's not working, right? I mean, and I don't blame them. I mean, like homeschooling is not easy. It's exhausting. It's a you know, full-time job plus some because you know you have to do everything you have to do as a parent and then as a full-time educator you know it's exhausting so um but one of the things I feel like is is something that happens with homeschoolers when they choose to start homeschooling is it's like okay so I'm going to be in charge of my child's education and that's still the end goal is success and that's achieved through checking off these boxes that the state or whatever is telling me that I have to check off, right? So then they look at their child and they are like, okay, I got to check off this box and this box and this box at this age and this age and this age. Um, and then what ends up happening is there's a lot of conflict in the homes. There's a lot of problems with the, with behavioral problems. Um, the, the parent gets burnt out. Um, and frankly, I don't know a single homeschool person who has, or parent, who has been able to homeschool more than one child I think you can do it with one child but more than one child um and match every standard in every year and I don't even know I, I can't even I think there's one person I know who could do that with one child <laughs> yeah it's... but I guess that kind of makes sense I think there are certain people who 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 can fit the standards and who will be able to do all those things and excel in that area and and can pass all those things at that age like that they that deadline they say they are um I just think most of the kids can't and so um and then I think yeah why do we want them to well it's because we we bought the lie that this is the goal the goal is the success the success is achieved through this process so you yeah. have to like immediately reset the goal no that's not the goal the goal okay. is now the good life which is achieved through a a which is achieved through, in my opinion, this is the whole foundation of what education needs to be. The whole foundation is what does it mean to be a human? 
and to live the best possible life as a member of my community, family, society, and for myself. That needs to be the purpose of education. So like if people are like, okay, well, how does that work? Like, you know, how does that work career-wise? Well, if, if, I'm, if I view my career as a nine to five and a paycheck, I am going to be miserable. I think there's a few people who can do that. And I'm not saying there aren't people there, but for the majority, people can't have their entire objective in life be, I go here, do this so that I can get a job, so I can get money, so I can do this. Like eventually people burn out. But if I view my nine to five as me with my skills and talents and abilities building something better, like if I choose to be a plumber, let's say I just was a plumber, and I could have the mindset of every day I work to to ease the burden of life on other people. It's you incorporate know? yeah, you're incorporating that that calling that mission that purpose within that I, have you ever watched those those uh that show um what was it um undercover boss oh yeah 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 i mean there's a couple that are just amazing and i remember there was one where he was the boss of some amusement parks and he went and he was talking to this guy that just cleaned up the park throughout the day and he had such an amazing attitude of what he was doing and then there was another one who was a a garbage man and and again i mean here he is dealing with people's waste products and both of them were and they were able to see it as just improving the world and their way of making the world a better place and i really feel like if we were able to share that mindset as one of our primary goals as educators, both in the homeschool setting and at large. But um, if we were able to share that, imagine how much better the world would be, you know, that you have something special to add to this world and you are doing something amazing, whether it's, it's um, you know, having this, producing this amazing work of art or sweeping the sweeping the stairs so that people don't trip on on garbage or you know um making food at mcdonald's yeah it's like still one of my favorite poems by um wadsworth is the builders i think i've, I've shared that with you before but so all are architects of fate working in these walls of time some with massive deeds and great and some with ornaments of rhyme Oh, Nothing that. useless is, each thing in its place is best. And what seems but idle show strengthens and supports the rest. And so, you know, he's that, that kind of, he was a big transcendentalist, which is so interesting because, you know, the transcendentalist movement happened kind of at the same time that I think you see this push towards um, democ uh, uh, education, you know, Horace Mann. I mean, he was later. But they they were trying to answer these questions and this new founding democracy of like what what do we do now that we don't have this class of people known as the aristocracy who run the government and all those things like how do we ensure that the populace are educated enough to run themselves right which is biggest reason why you know Montesquieu was like democracies are evil <laughs> you know like because you know they can be pretty evil we saw some pretty bad things like you know they killed they killed Socrates. 
So, um, of course, uh, the transcendentalists um, really nailed this idea. You know, you, Henry Thoreau goes out to Walden's Pond and like sits by a pond and living off the land for like months to experience what that is. And Emerson, you know, he has a really amazing uh, talk that he gave in a university called The American Scholar. And in there, he pinpoints, I think, the essence of, of what you have, what is great about America. And if we could keep this, this is what makes it so that we can have freedom and have a country. But he says, he says, within every human is this innate desire to do and be something great. He says, he calls it greatness. And the article is called Greatness. That's what he calls it. And he said, and this greatness that we have inside of us is unique and only we can hear it and only we can know it's there. And what the purpose of education is to find that greatness and, and enable it to be the most effective it possibly can be by giving it the tools to reach the most, to, to, to reach its greatest extent. So if, if I, you know, so for example, like my son, he's really into robotics, right? So, <laughs> um, he is six so um you know i could get on the bandwagon and be like okay he needs to know x y and z about all these different things at six this is the place he needs to go but instead it's like okay the only thing he really cares about is robotics so somewhere somewhere in there is his greatness i mean is he going to be a robotic builder when he's older i don't know but something about robotics is singing to that part of him of his greatness so as as the primary person helping him in his path for education, I'm going to try to expose him to as much possible of that elements of, of robotics as possible to see what he is, what's singing to him, what's he connecting to, right? And if I use the medium that he so loves, then eventually he's going to get everything else he needs, right? He's going to need to learn to read and write because he wants to code. He wants to code his robot. He can't code his robot if he can't read and he can't write. He's going to learn these things to accomplish these goals that he has inside of him. But if but if you start from the other way of just tick these boxes off, then what happens is that that greatness inside of you just doesn't get developed. It gets squashed. And and so I think it's it's interesting if looking back, if the transcendentalist had won, if their way of doing life, I mean, obviously, we don't always, I don't necessarily agree with everything the transcendentalists taught, but um, I think they had something really powerful. And the movement was very interesting about the development of the individual and the self. Um, just if they had won out and education had been, you know, finding that greatness and giving the tools to foster it, what would we look like? Maybe we'd already be on Mars. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Everything that you're, you're saying really leads me to leadership education, you know, and, you know, we are a leadership education mentoring institute. And I, I think about all of these, um, you know, the, the keys for great education, you know, that were given in the Thomas Jefferson education book um, by Oliver DeMille and how you're talking, you're sharing all of these things that are in there, like um, these classics and, um, you know, and these amazing classics that are really could change how we look at education. So how can we include 
you know, how, how does, let me rephrase that. How does leadership education help with this mind shift that we need? How can we change the education? How can we be part of this reformation that needs to take place in our nation today? So I was reading the C.S. Lewis over Christmas just because I was trying to get into the Christmas spirit and I decided to read C.S. Lewis. But <laughs> um, he he has an article. Um, I think it's a book, actually. It's called The Great Divorce. Yeah. And um, the uh, the idea of the great divorce is this man dies and he gets on a bus and he finds himself in hell and he gets on a bus to go to heaven. And on that bus, there's several other people who are trying to get to heaven as well. And so this man starts to observe uh, all these other people who are trying to get from hell into heaven. And he watches all their different stories. And it's super, it's super fascinating to kind of see the progression of, of what C.S. Lewis thought maybe would happen when we die. But there's this one story where this dwarf who, you know, who was, a, he was, I guess, a, a little person in life. And he had, he clearly was married uh, and had a wife and she died first. And so he dies and um, he uh comes up to her and this whole scene unfolds where he tells her that she doesn't love him enough and that she never really loved him because she did never understood him because nobody could understood what it was like to be with his disabilities and his problems nobody got it and it was interesting because as this this you know little person or i can't remember what he called it in the book he called him a little man as the little man like went along and kept saying nobody gets me nobody understands me like life is so hard that that, that you never were there you're never gonna get there nobody's gonna get it. he just got smaller and smaller and smaller until he had a dog that was with him and the dog basically just like swallowed him up and became bigger than him it's super it's a very it's very interesting it's one of c.s lewis's more i don't know abstract books but while i was while i was reading that I had this huge epiphany. That's what our whole culture is. Nobody gets me. Nobody understands. You 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 don't know what it's like. You're not this way. Like we have this victim mentality of of woe is me or why am I this way? Or how can this happen to me? Right? Just like you were talking with the coddling of the American mind. Right? We have this victim mentality and it literally shrinks us to the point where we cannot even like function ourselves. So I think the first thing that people have to do, no matter if you're listening to this and you're 10 or you're, or you're 90, you have to take responsibility for your own education. If you're 40 years old and you're not in the job you want to be in and your life's a mess and, and, and in your family life's a mess, then you have to take responsibility. You have to take responsibility. Like, you're right. Nobody gets it because I have to get it. And I have to be the one responsible. I think that's where you have to start. And especially if you're a homeschooling parent, you know, we, we, we worry so much about educating our children, but, but we like literally do not do anything to educate ourselves. And so it, we have to, I, I really do believe that's the first step that happens. Like you have to be showing your children that education matters by getting one yourself. And, 
and so for me like that's the first thing that you do if you want to revolutionize and change education you know then then focus on what you can which is yourself right and take responsibility and then the next thing people's like okay well i'll just go to college and it's like well maybe not <laughs> like maybe if that's what you need to do yeah but like maybe just turn off the tv and not watch netflix um and you know get an audible account and um start listening to, to, to some books or if you can't read and you're not you don't want to read you know start there you know that would be my suggestion <laughs> it's really simple but um a next suggestion i would have is just come to a lemmy training and teach a project like i don't think that there is a better way for you to get educated than to teach you know oh, definitely well and one of the wonderful things about taking on um, the responsibility of teaching a class for your homeschool community is your kids see you. You are being a an example to your kids, first of all, of, I mean, I know that as the mentor or the teacher for a class, I am learning so much more than the kids are. And I get so excited about what I'm learning. And so I can share that excitement. And, um, but then they also, my kids are seeing that as well. It, you know, we, so many times we're like, okay, well, you know this, you have four kids, four little kids. It's hard to homeschool. You have all of these things that you're trying to do. You're trying to potty train one kid. You're trying to make sure that another kid has enough books that they're actually, you know, excited. You know, they're not just sitting in front of a, a screen all day. Um, you know, you're also, if you have animals besides that, you're like, you know, making sure the animals aren't getting out when the kids are out trying to get some kind of um, exercise so that they aren't destroying your house inside. I mean, all of these different things. And then it's like, okay, and now you're asking me, okay, Tati, you said I have to work on my own education. I have to read books like Thoreau and, you know, Emerson and C.S. Lewis and, you know, read The Great Divorce and, you know, about heaven and hell. And, and I'm not going to teach my kids all of this stuff. Why do I need to do it? Well, you got to do it because you're showing your kids that you're, you're, um, you are contributing to your community. You're helping build a community. You're teaching your kids that this is what you're supposed to do. This is what adults do. You're also finding your own mission through this, because that's what leadership education helps you with. It helps you, you know, by going through all of these classics and by putting yourself out there and being part of a community, you are becoming more of who you are. You're finding yourself within that. And yeah, it's hard because you're also doing, you know, cleaning up the poopy diapers and making sure the house doesn't fall down and making sure your kids aren't starving um, and making sure that you're educating them. But when you're part of a community, it makes everything else a little bit easier. Um, at least I know that's, that's been my experience. Yeah, I think um, I listened to a Hiding Place last, during the pandemic, I listened to the Hiding Place. Um, 
and I don't even know, oh, because my community asked me to read it, that's why. It's <laughs> like, I don't know why I read it. Read it for our gathering project that we did the first year that we were running. Um, and so it was like 2020, yeah, it was last year. Um, and one of the things that, I mean, I had, I had read that book at 16 for, um, for a colloquium that I had with, uh, just friends. <laughs> we had a weird group of friends where once a month, one of us would pick a book and then we'd have a book discussion and then a party. So it was a part of, it was totally run by kids. Um, I think my friend Brandon set it all up. He was super awesome. And we just had a party with the book discussion once a month. It was really fun. But um, we decided to pick, I think, you know, so I read the the hiding place as a kid. And in my mind, I was like, oh, this is just about, this is just a story about horrible things that happened in World War II. And, and so I, I didn't want to read it. I was like, I've read it. It's horrible. I don't want to read it. <laughs> like that was my mentality. And, but because I was in my community and my community was asking me to read it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow the community's guidelines. Um, I read it. And it was absolutely transformational for me having just gone through the pandemic and experiencing some pretty difficult and hard things at, through our family. We, you know, experienced suicide. We experienced like family fissures, death, like so many things during the pandemic. So many people experienced that terrible things through pandemic, right? Like so many people did. Um, I walked away realizing Corey Ten Boom's book was not about the concentration camps. Corey Ten Boom's book was about you have to figure out how to live a good life so when the world falls apart, because it will, you'll have the supports you need to make it better. We're interrupting this broadcast to invite you to ask questions or share your epiphanies in the comment section. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a good review on the platform you are using, because that really helps others find our content. Also, check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. And that's really what it was. Like, there was the, so much of the book was about her mother and her father and what they did to build community and how they nurtured the people in their lives when there wasn't a war, when it's just life and how aware they were, you know. And so because of that, like, I've tried to do that better with my children. Um, and so in our community... I've tried to show them that like people matter, community matters, you know, and so in our church community, when we have the opportunity and I go out visit the sick or the people, I bring them with me, right? And I we just recently visited a one of our good friends whose whose mother was very, very sick, and we went and visited them for an hour. And as we're driving home, like my daughter's like, this is the coolest experience I've had in a long time. <laughs> it's like visiting a 90 year old person. <laughs> like how, it's like, yeah, it just was so cool to hear their stories and, and listen to them and, and like see what they had to tell us. And thanks mom, that was so awesome. You know, so it's like when we focus on things that to the rest of the world, and this is one of the things that I also think is really hard for to be saying, because if you're on YouTube out there, there's so many videos are like, this is how you get fit. And this is how you get, you know, this is how you get rich. And this is how you get these things. And it's like, okay, what is the purpose of getting rich and fit? What, what, what is the goal there, right? It's to achieve some state of being the good life. But in the process of getting rich and fit, we just like, just go down this path of obliteration and we get rich and fit and there's like no one to share it with and we have terrible lives 
So it was like, I think there needs to be a step back on YouTube and, and, and other platforms to just be like, listen, the attainment of wealth and things is really a very big lie. Because, I mean, I have a very fulfilling life, in my opinion, but I spend almost every waking minute of my life doing things that does not bring me money. Right? Like, it does not bring me wealth. There's no wealth involved here. And and yet, I have a very fulfilling life. Right? Well, not that I mean, wealth is a bad thing to pursue, but it can't be the pursuit of wealth for wealth's sake, I mean, in my opinion. Right? Like, yeah, and as a homeschooling I, parent, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I just want to say, I believe that wealth is fulfillment. If you're talking just money, that's a totally yeah. different thing. Yeah. So if you want to be rich or if you want to be wealthy, okay, Tatiana, you're one of the wealthiest people I know because you are living a fulfilling life. You are, um, you have this rich you know, depth to your education and you are sharing it with other people. And so, like I said, you, you are very wealthy and you have the love of so many people and you've impacted so many people's lives. Now your bank account might not show that, <laughs> um, but I would rather have that kind of wealth. I mean, like my mother, my mother, again, sh she is a very wealthy individual because she has so many people that love her and support her. And I mean, she can literally, she has literally just taken a plane ride with someone and they are her friend for life. <laughs> and she just has that wealth of that love that's surrounding her. And, and she loves that. But I, I know other people in my family who believe that money is wealth and they don't, they don't have that love in their life. And it's, it's such a, it's kind of like going back and comparing the two um, educational systems. If you're just checking out boxes, if you're just trying to get to that money, it's, it's, it doesn't have that fulfillment. It doesn't have the the depth and that 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 wealth where if you are helping your kids become lifelong learners who are pursuing and listening for that mission, that calling in life, that purpose that they're going to to live. I mean, yeah, we're going for that wealth. We're going for um, having our kids live that life that is going to be fulfilling. I mean, I, I love it. Like uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl. After reading that book, I'm like, kids will ask me, you know, I'll say at the end of class and I'll say, you know, okay, um, is, are there any uh, questions I can answer? You know, do you have any questions? And there's always that one kid. There's always that one kid. You know, yeah, Mrs. Christensen, what's the meaning of life? And I'm like, I have the answer to that. Do you want me to share it now or do you want to go to lunch? <laughs> and they say, oh, we can wait. But it's it's that sharing that genius, sharing that purpose with the world. It's not just about you. Where if you're if you're focused on the money, if you're focused on being rich, it's all about you. Well, if where and that's why having that community, that community that held you accountable for reading that book because you knew that that would um be something that the community needed and would enrich you. I mean, that is wealth. That is wealth. So, um, 
but yeah and I, I, I think i bring that up just because i think going back to like you know you asked the question how do we fix things i think we have to fix things by focusing on what really matters and while i do want my children to be successful financially because they know how to use their money well and because they're well educated in that i mean while while I, you know, my husband and I don't have a huge bank account, we have a very secure life because, you know, we have taken, we are smart with our money. We are, you know, we're not, we've, we've chosen to own the, be on a single income, which does make life a little bit more difficult in today's economy. But we have been really, really, you know, well blessed because of the decisions and choices we've made. So while, while financial uh, stability is something I want my children to enjoy. I, I, I'm not pushing my children to be these high achievers because I want them to be like the best concert pianist and the best of all these things because there's so much lost in that pursuit. Now, if I had a child who I could easily tell was like, this is their thing, music is their thing. Yeah, I would work everything I possibly could to make sure that happens. But um I think that, that we just, in the pursuit of the end goal or the checking of the boxes, when that's our, that's our whole objective, we forget that we are human, right? Mm -hmm. And that big part of helping a child leave your home as a functioning adult is teaching them how to navigate and manage their emotions. It's teaching them how to build good relationships with people. It's teaching them how to be honest and keep their word. It's teaching them how to multitask and manage their physical space there's so many other aspects that involved education than just you know can you do this complex algebraic problem or can you you know tell me what Dostoevsky thought about you know Russian life in 1850s yeah well let's go back to like go back to the educational system that you know we have that conveyor belt type mentality um, a lot of people say, or a lot of people feel that the Lemmy continuum, all of the different projects that we offer for scholar is just another conveyor belt. Now you've, you've written a couple of those projects. You've experienced most of them. How, why isn't it a conveyor belt? Well, I definitely think there's just like we talk about the phases in, in education and well i mean sure we'll do some podcasts that talks more about phases but um there there is a development that happens in the of in the brain of the child as they progress and get older so some of those projects are naturally going to be uh better for the younger kids in that group um and some of them are going to be are as well better suited for the the, where the brain development is so there is categories let's just say that there's categories right we have the practice scholar and we have the apprentice scholar projects so the apprentice scholar projects are not going to be a good fit for a kid whose brain and academic development is not there right but if they are there then they should be able to take that class you know so so for example if you have someone who joins your co-op or your commonwealth and they're 16 and you say, oh, you have to take Key of Liberty and Shakespeare and all these other projects before you can take this other project, then you're really doing this child a disfavor. And odds are they're going to not continue with your Commonwealth because you're not you're not meeting them where their needs are and helping them progress through 
so I, I also think it's really important to understand that while there's certain knowledge content within each project that we use to teach skills, abilities, um, vision, and mission, that knowledge content can be learned outside of that. I think one of my favorite podcasts we did was with Rama, right? And he came in at 16, and I don't know where they, they put him right away, but he ended up coming back. Oh, he came in younger. No, yeah, Ra- Rama, no, actually, Rama started out at 12. Oh, okay. Um, but he actually, he went all the way through, and then uh, he came back, uh, he took a gap year from school and came back and mentored. Yeah, which is which is awesome, because I feel like whenever I teach the project, I'm like, the the goal is to not have them be experts in this field because they won't, you know, like, they're not going to get there at 12. The goal is to put in them the, in, in the foundation for the thinking skills so that they can learn and, and, and think, compute and, and articulate and speak and then go back and learn it again. Right. Yeah. And and then they'll know how to like really understand it, um, and and so it, it's this mindset of like one and done that's so damaging to oh I've already read that I don't need to read it again. It's like yeah. no, we're gonna come back to this and go back to this and, and learn and grow in these different ways. So I think the let me while we do call it a continuum it's probably maybe better to look at it it's like these are practice scholar projects these are apprentice scholar projects so there has to be a level of maturity that's there in order for the student to get there but that doesn't have to be a knowledge content yes it's more ideal if they can start at 12 and go th- go through the different things but also like if you have a kid who's just not gonna be okay with Shakespeare like then don't make him take it like I don't know it, it's hard because it's like we go from I was absolutely floored the amount, how easy it was for everybody to completely submit and surrender all their freedoms during the pandemic. That to me was just like, wait, no, no, wait, what? Well, this is a first amendment, right? We have the right to assemble. There's nowhere in the constitution that says, oh, by the way, you can revoke the first amendment, right? If there's a pandemic. I mean, like, you know, that, that was insane to me. Right. And so but one of the things that we've just been conditioned to think is that if I don't do it this way, I'm not okay. And the truth of the matter is, is like the right way is the way in which the most growth can happen for the child. Yeah. And the recommended way is sometimes the right way. But that's another thing that maybe we'll have to do like a whole episode on spiritual eyes. Oh, I I think so. That's huge. I, I know I was just at a parent meeting for my community and one of the people spoke up about how her, her son just learns a little bit differently. And it wasn't until he got into, uh, Georgics that he just came alive because just how that class is taught the, you know, the principles and, and, and that entrepreneur mindset, it just, it just really spoke to him and he got it. And so it was, it was somewhat the knowledge part of it. But uh, if that child was forced to go from, you know, 
one to the next to the next. I mean, he might have missed it because our community doesn't offer um, Georgics all the time. If if it was, you know, if you have a kid who you think might be more interested in Georgics uh, as, um, you know, the knowledge base and, and it might hook them, then, you know, put them in Georgics rather than Key of Liberty, even if everybody's telling you, you know, he has to start with Key of Liberty. Georgics might be a better choice as a parent using your spiritual eyes. And then also as a mentor, use your spiritual eyes. One of the things, you know, I talk to a lot of leaders of communities and, um, you know, a lot of them are saying, oh, you know, all we need to do the, all of the, have the kids go through the continuum in order. And I'm like, no, we are mentors. We are not teachers. We are not, you know, school administrators. We are mentors. We are looking at each child. We are not looking at the standards. We're not looking at, you know, way it's supposed to be. We are looking at each child using those spiritual eyes and figuring out where is that child now? Where does that child need to be? And how can we help them get there? And too often it's it's so easy to just get caught up in, okay, and, and I know as a leader of a community, I've, I've been in that situation. It's so much easier if we just go with the standards, which is goes back to what I was saying about, you know, the standards that, you know, public education have, it's to make their life easier. It's not to make the kids' life easier. It's to make the administration and prove their value and validate, you know, why they're they're around. That's why we do everything the way we are. Well, okay, I'm gonna push back a little bit on that though, because um the 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 logistical facts of like there really is only so many people in our commonwealth and there's only so many trained mentors and there's only so many you know, we have limited resources and limited time. So let's pick a project. So let's say you have to pick a project that maybe is not at the same level as some of your other kids. Let's say, you know, let's say you pick Hero and Sword because you've already done Key and you, you don't have any new kids or whatever, but you have kids who really academically aren't really going to do well or ready for Hero and Sword, right? So then you decide, okay, well, they can't be in the project because they're academically not going to do it. And And this is where like, okay, this is really kind of what really is difficult with with project learning. I personally love project learning. I think it's one of the most powerful ways for develop the mind so that we can think in a whole to part to whole, which is essential for any kind of problem solving ability, right? Which is pretty much what humans do best. But at the same time, there is this idea of achievement because this goal, right? You know, we, we have this project and we have this goal. And that's built in because you know, Nisi's hierarchy of needs, we, we, we have this need to have, be able to see, we're action oriented, right? So humans act to see results. And so we want that result at the end, which is the goal. But what often happens is that the physical tangible goal becomes the goal over the really important goal, which is the internal growth of the child. So then the label happens that if the child doesn't complete the X physical goal, then the child, the parent, and the mentor failed the project, right? Which is just so absurd because it that's is. not the goal. The goal is the motivation is the pro the project is set up in a way to motivate that child to choose to learn, right? Because we understand that Mises is like, we are action oriented. We want to see cause and effect and result. That's how we operate. That's how economics operate. So we're going to use that principle of human nature 
to inspire the child to want to learn. In this case, it happens to be a metal sword, or or in some cases, it's a, a painting, or some cases, it's a trip, right? It's some kind of tangible thing, right? But then your identity gets tied to that. Mm-hmm. And so then if you don't accomplish that because of various different choices you made or various different things that are happening, then then the mentor freaks out. Oh, I'm a terrible mentor. I failed them. The student freaks out because, oh, I failed. And then the parents like, oh, my gosh, this doesn't work. This project learning is a joke. If you don't force kids to do things, they don't learn. And now we just it's embarrassing because we failed. And that's like that to me is the saddest thing, because, you know, my niece, who's totally academically capable of doing all the work, didn't get it done in time, right? So she almost didn't get it. And I asked her and I said, how do you feel about it? She's like, well, if I'm really honest with myself, I know why I I struggle turning in things because my ADD brain just just goes to spazzes out. So I, I learned that in order to be successful with keeping deadlines, I have to set up certain systems with myself. I'm like, oh, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. How do you feel about yourself? She's like, well, I'm a little bit sad that I didn't do it on time and didn't get it, but I'm more grateful for what I learned reading Uncle Tom's Cabin and and then reading Crossway Maples. Those books are not Crossway Maples. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. I did not realize how hard of a decision and thing this was for both the north and the south i did not realize the impact this has on our lives everything today and well you know we live in a a state that was you know highly affected by the civil war and still is and so like she could see how things in her community things in our city things surrounding us things that affect her every day were impacted by the events that happened 150 years Right. So there was the learning. That was the growth. That was the goal. She checked off that box. She also learned it's like once amazing woman could change the history of the world. Right. Like that's such a powerful story for her as a young woman to, 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 to learn. Right. And so the the message that has to happen between the mentor, the parent and the child is how you package the message. Are you a failure if you don't accomplish the goal? No, because you tried to accomplish the goal and, and look where you got. I had, I had, I had the best op- education opportunity, which I'm so sad. It's not around anymore, but the school that I went to only used mentors. And one day I had a mentor meeting with my mentor and I approached him and I said, you really need to change the syllabus. Most of these kids can't do this work. I mean, we had to read War and Peace in a week. We had to read Les Mis in a week. Uh, like not the abridged version, the entire thing. We had to memorize every single country in the world in a week. Like it was just insane things. Like, and then, and then your older exam, I would just ask you any question, any country. And then you'd have to name like all the countries that touched it. Like the academic work that was required was through the roof. Like we read all of, of, of uh, Nietzsche. We had to read Rothbirth and Keynes and Galileo and like all this stuff. And none of it was abridged and none of it was, it was all like thousands of pages of work a week. And so I came to my professor, I was like, you do know that like half these students are failing and not getting this all done. And like only a few of us are there. And he, he took his marker and he said, he said, Tatiana, if I put this marker where you can't reach it and you jump as high as you can to reach the marker, 
you're going to jump way higher than you would have jumped if I had just set the marker where you could reach it. So here's the deal. I know that most of these kids are not going to get this. They're not going to get it. But here's the deal. I know you could get there. If I set it high enough, I know you'll work really hard and get there. So I'm not teaching this class to the bottom. I'm teaching this class to the top. And what's going to happen is every single one of those kids who didn't think that they could reach the top, they're going to get 10 times higher than they ever could have trying to reach for the bottom. And, and so like, that's, that's, I think as a mentor to me, it's like, I'm going to find the kid who is, is going to submit to what I want them to do. And I'm going to push them hard. And if we drag the rest of those 12 kids in the class along, then those kids are 10 times higher than they were when they started. And that's the victory. And sometimes a mentor, you have to turn around and just tell the kids, look at everything you've gone. Look at where you were and look at where you are now. That is, that is the end goal. But it's just people don't see that as like, oh, I didn't cross off the box. I'm not okay. And, and to me, that's the saddest part of like the mindset of the education world. You are not okay if you don't cross off the box. But I, I really love Charlotte Mason. I just read a book called Miss Modern Miss Mason. One of the things she says is the mindset of parenting has to have is that when your child comes to you, they are a whole, complete, and perfect person from the beginning. So it doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. From the beginning, you're perfect. We just have to discover that perfection through yeah. education. Yeah. Back, back to that genius quote that I uh, shared from Einstein. Everybody is genius. And I totally agree. I have had so many experiences where um, I've had a student fail and have they have learned so much from that failure. I had I've had people accuse me of setting our kids up for failure. And I, I always I always send them back to that classic call with Anelody and Tiffany um, uh, language of freedom. And I'll I'll be sure and link it in the, the notes because it's an amazing classic call that's available on Lemmy Works. And it just really it, it's everything that you you're, you've talked about here. It, it really does make a difference. And when you're working within a community, you have to make the hard decisions. I know as a community leader, I had to make those hard decisions about what is best for my community as a whole, even when it was not the best thing for my child. And I had to know that because I had faith in that continuum, in each of the individual products and in each individual mentor, because they were went through Lemmy training, and I knew that it had a foundation on true educational principles. And I knew that even if my child wasn't in the ideal project, that they would still get, yeah, they would still check off those boxes that I knew they needed, that I know they need to be that good person, to have that true success, that true wealth rather than checking off those boxes just to get to the next thing and forget everything else that they, you know, that they've done. They have that education of wealth, that education that will lead them to true success. And um, yeah, I'm just, 
I'm just so grateful for that, that, you know, all five of my kids have had that and uh, know that failure is a part of life and they've been able to fail. That's one of the things I love about like the simulations that we do, um, the simulations that we include in every single one of our trainings for the, for the adults is you can fail and we can simulate failure and have them go, go through that and learn from it. And that helps them so that when they encounter failure as an adult, they're going to understand, oh, this is just part of life. It's not failing unless I, I stop trying. I have to keep working at it. And I love the acronym, um, you know, fail is first attempt in learning. And um, if we can teach our kids that, I mean, that is like one of the best lessons. Yeah. And I think it has to go back to, um, and I have to do, I have to remind myself of this all the time. Like it has to go back to working on yourself because mm -hmm. as a homeschool parent, if your children don't look like the best possible result, the rest of the world, you know, that they're going to blame you. You know, you know that they're going to be like, Oh my gosh, you're such a bad parent and you're failing and all these things. Right. So so like the really it has to come to that place of like working on yourself. It's like, these are truths that I know. And I am doing the best possible thing I can do with the truth that I know. And a, one of the best piece of parenting advice I ever got from my sister, we were talking about um, her son wanted to wear sweat sweatpants. They looked really nice, but they were not like slacks. They were sweats to church right <laughs> we come from a more strict culture for what you wear on what's appropriate for Sunday dress wear and she said so I totally let him wear these they, they weren't like trashy sweats they were nice looking but they were definitely you know sweats and she's like I got in so much trouble um from my husband because he's like don't you understand that everybody's judging us about what our kids are wearing and my my sister, because she's autistic, she she was like, "Why why would someone judge me about what another person is wearing? My son is a person who gets to make choices about what he puts on his body, and why am I being judged for those choices?" <laughs> she just you know in her head is like, "Well, he's old enough to choose, so if he makes this choice, it's his choice. How is that my choice? How is that my?" responsibility for the choice that he made and it was it was so such an eye-opening experience that I think only someone who's you know autistic and thinks differently could see the world that way where it's like yeah like once my child is of a certain age and making choices how is that a direct result of me you know what I mean like as much as you there is I mean nurture and nature are that huge debate but the fact that when it comes down to it, that person, once they leave your home, is making choices based off of themselves. And, you know, I think so many millennials are like rat on their parents, like, I have childhood trauma. And I'm like, okay, you probably maybe do. And that probably your brain has less serotonin and less synapses. But the fact of the matter is you're you and you have to make choices for you. So you got to figure out what you're going to do to fix you. As much as you want to throw your parents under the bus and tell them you ruined my life, like, doesn't matter. So fix you. Like, so the, the same thing is the other, it goes the other way around as a homeschool parent. It's like eventually gets to this point where it's like, 
that's your child and they're going to make choices for themselves. So the sooner that you can let that go and let them make them choices and own them and then not care what the world says, the happier you will be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and as homeschool parents, we are constantly being quizzed. Our kids are constantly being quizzed. Okay. Um, it took, it really took. Okay. I got to share with you the best moment I think of my mom's life. Okay. So <laughs> I was that, I didn't learn to read till I was 11 or 12. Like literally I knew how to read, but like, I couldn't like read. And so as soon as it turned to be 11 or 12, I started being able to read. I just, to me, it, it felt like this cloud lifted and my brain could work. I mean, my mom did everything. We did music, we did brain gym, we did like everything. I knew all the, the vowels and all everything. I knew all how it all worked. I just couldn't put it together. So I started reading at 12 and like, I just took off reading. Like the first real book I read, like not listened to or anything was like the indispensable George Washington. And then the next book I read was like Animal Farm. And then like, like really weird books, like the kind of shows you what kind of person I am. But anyways, by the time I, but so my, my mom is the ninth of 11 children and her older sisters are all public school teachers. Um, three of them. One of them is a, a university professor and her husband and her lived in California and her husband was this ex-military hard nose, always gave my mom's life like was always mean to her always teased her always hard on her just because that kind of a guy mm -hmm. and um and he was he was in city government so he's a brilliant really smart man and my my mom uh she made wedding dresses for all of her nieces she's really good at making wedding dresses and so periodically when one of the nieces would get married she would go down to california where my aunt and uncle lived and we would go to the garment district and pick out fabrics for wedding dresses. So my mom took me to with her when when I was probably like 14, 15. I think I was 15, yeah. To the garment district because I wanted to go because I'd never been. So we stayed with my uncle and my aunt, who have my mom's entire life, especially when she chose to homeschool, ridiculed her, made fun of her, and told her it wouldn't work. Okay. And my aunt and uncle, they are a lot older than my mom. Um, and so they had no kids at the home. And so they were hosting a visiting professor from Eritrea um, who was teaching at a university in California. Okay. So we're in this home and I'm a 15 year old kid. And after dinner, and we had been shopping all day, I'm in the living room and I just sit down next to my uncle Jerry and this really amazing professor from Eritrea and just started talking to them just because you know, that's the social thing to do. And I, my uncle like looks at me and I'm having this like total conversation with this professor, like, like really well. And so my uncle's like, this is weird. So my uncle just starts dropping, it just starts quizzing me and drilling me and nailing me. And like all this kind of questions, like all over the board everywhere. And I just thought we were having a conversation. So I was just like, talking to him like I would talk to like any of my mentors or any of my friends at Commonwealth and like on any topic he'd do science or you know anything and I would just respond with what I knew and how I could right <laughs> it got pretty late and the professor uh, uh he looked at me and he's like wow kid you're something 
And then as we're leaving, my uncle's like, you know what? You did well, Anelody. I've never met a kid this this well-spoken and this well-articulate at this age. Good, do- good job, Anelody. And like, I just thought it was like, whatever. Mom, the way home, my mom was almost in tears. She's like, you have no idea how much that man has made my life a living, you know, H.E. Double Hockey Six. And in one conversation, you blew his socks off and proved to him that in in the four years you've been able to read, you've gone into college level, right? Like, so so whenever people tell me, it's like, oh, my kid's not there, my kid's not there. It's like, if you create the right environment, and, all, and, and the thing was, like, it wasn't just me who could do that. All of my siblings can do that to various different extents, you know. And 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 um, so, like, I think when you live the right principles and you foster that greatness in your kids, eventually, at some point, that, that you know, winning recognition will come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I had in-laws, I had a brother-in-law very similar to your uncle and it wasn't until, you know, my oldest son graduated from the same college he went to, you know, um, like cum laude or something like that. He's like, oh, maybe this stuff does work, you know, and he was able to have a similar conversation with my son and yeah, then it was like, okay, Heidi, I guess you're doing okay, but you have to, it works, you know, you if, have to if wait you, 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it does, it does work. Um, but you have to understand that there's lots of different facets to it. It's, you know, you're working on your own education, just like your mom was. I know she was, she was working on her own education, setting that example for you. She also had a community that she built to, uh, have those mentors for you that would support her in what she wanted for you, but also support you in what you needed. And and you had that group of peers that had that positive peer pressure that was, you know, um, helping you have that motivation to do more. And Lemmy, with its continuum, with its projects, with its support for communities helps us achieve that good life, helps us as parents put our kids on the right trajectory so that they can have that truly wealthy life, that true wealth, that true um, living a, a purposeful life, living your mission. And that is the what I hope eventually the rest of the world will be able to catch on is that this type of education is what we really want. We don't want those, you know, artificial standards that are given to us right now in the current educational system where, you know, we have kids that can't read and are going to be held back because basically, I mean, when and when a system is saying that we aren't doing well enough, so all of these kids are going to be held back, they're admitting their own failure but blaming it on the kids. How sad is that? Where instead allowing those kids, I mean, with Lemmy, with Lemmy and with leadership education, we're able to allow the kids to fail, have that first attempt to, uh, in learning, and allow them to build on it until they get to the place where they get that exponential growth that you experienced, 
when that fog finally lifted and you were able to progress with your, you know, with your education, your mom never gave up. She kept laying that foundation and that's what we, we can do. So now we have actually gone over. I think we could probably continue talking for at least another three hours, but <laughs> let's end it here. This has been so much fun. Tati, I'm really excited to go on to the next subject next time. Yeah, we'll see you again. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.